Hello, welcome to The Promised Land, a show about Manchester United. I'm part of the 90 Min Podcast Network. I'm Scott Saunders, joined by Rob Blanchett, as ever. And we have a Manchester United fixture and a Manchester United win to talk about. It's a little bit weird to see Man United back in action, but we'll get right back into the swing of things pretty quickly. United have beaten Burnley in the in the League Cup, and they are now in the hat for the quarterfinals. And they're probably going to be among the favourites to win the competition. That's just hit me around the head a little bit. Rob, how are you doing? <laughs> Not too bad. It's quite nice, isn't it, to be able to do our show and talk about some real football. So we said we were quite excited about that, considering it's the League Cup uh, a few days ago. But it was a decent performance, wasn't it? And quite interesting. And as you said, now you're, you're into those final stages of this competition. You really should be looking at winning it, no matter who's in the competition with you. Man City and Liverpool play. We're recording ahead of that, so we don't know what the draw is. Uh, so if you're listening over Christmas, this is our, like, we need a Christmas jingle or something. This is our Christmas episode. Merry Christmas, Rob. Merry Christmas, listeners. Uh, if you're listening at any point over Christmas, this is the only episode that we'll have. So we're going to tie through. We'll look at the Burnley game, and we'll also look ahead to the Nottingham Forest game, which is on the 27th, I believe, at Old Trafford. United's first game back in the Premier League following the World Cup. United have had a number of World Cup stars featuring in the 11, which was a little bit of a surprise for me. We saw Casemiro in central defence. We saw Luke Shaw come off the bench. We saw Marcus Rashford score a goal from inside his own half. And uh, yeah, it was a decent performance. Uh, And I was obviously there was some hiccups in there. We're going to talk Martin Dubravka today because what? how can we not? Uh, We'll talk uh, what Eric Ten Hag said about Jadon Sancho. uh, Some news on contract extensions. Dallo, Rashford, Fred and Luke Shaw have all seen one-year extensions triggered on their deals. We'll talk about David De Gea as well and we'll look ahead to that Forest game, as I said. But yes, subscribe to our show, especially if you're listening for Christmas. Give us a Christmas present and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts on Apple, Google, Spotify, etc. And you can usually watch us twice a week on Tuesdays and Fridays, but because of the Christmas period, we'll just be... I think we're doing the next couple of Wednesdays and then we'll be back to normal in the new year. So head over to the YouTube channel as well. Like, subscribe, join the community and sub- yeah, definitely subscribe there because it's Christmas and we need Christmas cheer and Christmas subscriptions. The link should be in the description of this episode if you're listening on an audio platform to that YouTube channel. And you can follow us on Twitter at underscore Scott Saunders at underscore Rob underscore B and at Promise and MU for the show. What was your takeaways, Rob, on, on the Burnley game? Do you want to start with... There were a lot of positives, to be fair. There was, like it was one of those games, isn't it? We've said before the match that Ten Hag, if we know anything about this coach now, is that he just goes strong all the time. That's how he thinks. Put my best team out there. And like you just said there, it was kind of some debate before, wasn't it, about whether the World Cup guys would be thrown straight back in? What would he do positionally? Would we see something very similar? I think before the game, I said we'll see that 4-1-5. We didn't really see that. It was a 4-2-3-1 and probably as rigid a 4-2-3-1 as we've seen for several weeks and months going back to before the World Cup. Uh, but overall, you know, seeing that, come, especially with Casemiro at centre-back, which I think was kind of a bit like of an eye-opener, what can he do from there? And he played very well. Overall, I think it was just a really nice composed performance against a decent Burnley team. Like Again, people might just say, oh, it's only Burnley or maybe you know, Premier League heads who are not interested in championship football. This is a really decent Burnley team. It really is. And I think they showed that in periods in the match. Uh, And I think company is going to be 
a top level manager. And this is his kind of first steps towards that. I think he's a he's quite a talented coach and people have worked behind the scenes and saying he's he's kind of got all the tools to do the job. So it, it was a challenge, but I think Ten Hag met it. And I think the players that came back from the World Cup played really well. I said before the game that I just wanted to be eased back in to club football after the World Cup because I wasn't ready yet. Mm. And that game was actually everything that I kind of hoped for. A little bit of a challenge because they're a good team. You know, they'll probably get promoted this year, mm. you'd think. Uh, they're playing good football. They've got a few good players. They made, they made their own chances. They, they should have scored at one point, at, at least. Uh, and it was a bit of a test for United, but I was quite impressed with how the World Cup players reintegrated. Obviously, they've had a World Cup, but they have had a small break, the, the guys who finished in the quarterfinals. Mm. Small break, and they're back in, and they do look pretty sharp as well. I think it's more of a meant, I don't know, maybe get come into grips, get into grips with being eliminated from the World Cup and then going back into a game against Burnley is probably a big challenge. But you needed that, not a friendly, but a, a really competitive game, which United should get through and win and that's exactly what happened yeah again we we just kind of before the game we talked about this and said you know can players get out of their international headspace and move back towards club football and Ten Hag had said actually but just before the match one of his concerns was would players get back up to speed playing proactively because international football is reactive you know, that's the difference. You know, international football is a little bit more of a chess match, whereas Ten Hag, the modern coaches, you know, your Klopp's, your Guardiola's, like a bit of a fist fight. You know, they don't want to go in, they don't want a place to go in, punch the opposition in the mouth and move on and try and win games. So I think it was the middle ground because I think that he showed good respect to Burnley. And this is the kind of game, Scott, where in the past you would have got that hangover. You'd have got people going, I've just got back from the World Cup. Do I need to have a run? Do I need to get up to speed? This is my practice game. And what happens? You get knocked out the League Cup and it's all over and done with. And we're talking about something very different here, aren't we? But I don't think we saw that. I think we saw players who were motivated. We saw players that kind of were playing for their place as well. You saw a Malassia thrown in, a Wambasaka, players on the fringe who, who have to play well to get in this team. But then I think you saw the returning players. You said the ones who've had a little bit of a break now. Ericsson's, Casemiro's. I think Harry Maguire would have played uh, had he been fit, but he was not. Uh, he's uh, supposedly suffering with illness at the moment, so we'll see when he comes back. But overall, just I think a, a sensible performance is the best way of putting it. You know, not too much risk, but also respecting that this kind of Burnley team can shock you on their best day. And I thought they played well, Burnley. You know, like they. You can see they're a possession team now. They're not the Burnley of old, the Sean Dyche. Sean Dyche was commentating on the game, wasn't he? And it was quite interesting hearing him talk about some of it because it was a little bit like, oh, kind of like it's not like my Burnley type of thing. But it's a bit like, yeah, not your type of Burnley, but maybe a better version. So uh, a job well done for Man United and some, uh, some interesting positional movement there from Ten Hag with some of his squad. Yeah, one of them uh, we, that we haven't mentioned yet was Marcus Rashford playing on the right again. We'll talk about him uh, mm. in a little while, but uh, let's start with how the deadlock was broken. Bruno Fernandes with a nice diagonal pass across uh, to the right side of the six-yard box-ish. Aaron Wan-Bissaka looking sharper than I've ever seen him look in an attacking sense. Really good flying kind of caressed volley into the path of Christian Eriksen who, who smashed it in. Is this... The resurgence of Aaron Wan-Bissaka, or is this 
Shop window, Aaron Wan-Bissaka. For me, definitely shop window, Wan-Bissaka. No doubt about it. Uh, I think it's one of these things, like, again, when a player starts like that, but, like, you know, we're, we're fully aware that he is not in Ten Hag's plans at the moment, not long term. In the squad, obviously, to cover injuries, we don't really know where Delo is at the moment in terms of fitness. You know, we expect him to be back sooner rather than later. Um, but I think well, Wamasaka with that cross and uh, girl, people were obviously very excited about that and, and rightfully so because I think he did really well there. And we've always been wanting Aaron to be more progressive. So that was a progressive moment, a really, really good putback, wasn't it? And Ericsson showing what every good striker should do. You know, when you're in the six-yard box, put it in the roof of the net and make sure it goes in. So it's a good goal. But I think for Wamasaka, you know, we, we know that it looks like it's either going to be Wolves or Palace for him on loan. Uh, United not seeking a full uh, transfer, which is quite interesting again, because I think they might say to him, go out on loan and show us what you can do. And if you're ready to come back next year, we might use you. Um, but the other side of the coin is, of course, Scott, is that he goes to Palace, goes to Wolves, maybe even West Ham, plays well, what happens? You know, the value Inflates goes up. Value. Yeah. Increases value uh, and he does a Lingard, you know, so you put you, you go take him somewhere else. He proves that he's he's a Premier League footballer. He's of a really good standard. And then you can maybe find a market for him or you can look at him and go, actually, maybe we could use him going forward. So that would maybe help United's uh, wide conundrum. But I think we all still feel that Aaron Wan-Bissaka has got a long way to go before he is a starter at Manchester United. You mentioned Lingard that he should be. I think he actually scored for Nottingham Forest last he night did. as well. Uh, he will be back at Old Trafford on the 27th with Forest yeah. when United play Forest. Hopefully, if, if that does happen, Aaron Wambasaka goes out on loan only. As you mentioned, their Wolves, Crystal Palace, I think, have come in, which is always where I kind of expected him to go. Uh, but we'll see what we'll see what happens there. He's got it could even happen early in January, but this is a there's a few interested clubs in the Premier League. Let's just hope Man United this time don't do what they did with Lingard before and see him kill it at West Ham, for example. And then he comes back and bench they bench him for a season, lose him on a free. Let's let's hope that doesn't happen. And that's the problem, isn't it? Like I, I think that again, this was the whole thing with Lingard, is that you did that to create a market for him. And my God, did he create a market for himself? You know, he's probably the best attacking midfielder in the league for that period at West Ham. And you bring him back and what do you do? Nothing. He sits on the bench, does nothing. Then you have to lose him. So that's just bad business, I think. I get why you, they wanted to keep him around. And I think with wan the preference will be to sell and to play and buy someone else to help with that position on the right-hand side. But I think also the side of it is this guy, is that if you paid 50 million for a player, which is what you paid for Aaron wan you've got to try and recoup before you let him go. Because I'm sure someone would have taken him for 15 million in, in this next window, but do you really want to lose 35 million on a player? It doesn't look good for the books, does it? So you've got to try and create a market. And even if he becomes a 25 million pound player, again, something around that, that's better, that extra 10 million pound. When you're talking in modern day with COVID, post COVID and how we manage finance and business, every business wants to maximise those kind of things. So I don't think United will be giving Aaron Wambasaka away for free. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm looking at that now, and I think there's probably a sense with it. Ten Hag, I don't know if you saw these comments, but he said before the game that even he he was surprised at just how bad it was. Mm. Uh, and I, I don't know whether maybe he'll look through the lens of, get me whatever I can for a player like that. 
even if he costs 50 million, we'll write it off against this was a time where the club operated in the worst possible way. There's definitely, yeah. yeah, there's definitely a narrative being created from Ten Hag. And I'm not saying he's lying because I, I think he's actually telling completely the truth. But he's chosen the timing to talk about the previous regime now. So at the start, didn't want to talk about any of it. This is now, this is my Man United. This is what I'm doing. All the players have got the perfect opportunity, blah, 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 blah. The last few days we're hearing a lot more from what I call the centre of Manchester United, like the, the kind of court, the bit that we want to listen to. And Ten Hag is part of that, obviously, being the manager. And he's really kind of pumping it out there that this club was dishwater when I turned up. Everything was broken. And like we knew that as fans and journos, we know the club, we know what was going on. Everyone was obviously really upset with it. And you could see with the results and the performances. But I think Wamasaka is a, a kind of epitome, isn't he? Someone who was a, a starter before, but we always said, well, when Ten, Ten Hag turns up, he's not going to be starter. It's a bit like Ronaldo. We said that at the time when, well, all these things that people love about Cristiano, Cristiano's not going to start for, for this manager. This manager's not going to have it. So I think this is the taste chosen to speak about all this now because we are now in this post-Ronaldo world. So now Ronaldo is gone. And he's kind of hinting about what was happening before and talking about it a little bit more and being a little bit more expansive where he was completely like, I do not want to talk about this before. Now he's a little bit like, well, you know, oh, well, Brentford, you know, he hammered the players. This is coming from the, from well, you know, well-known sources. And at the time it wasn't like that. It was like, oh, we'll fix it. Don't worry. You know, it's a blip. It's a terrible blip, but you know, supposedly he went completely nuclear on the players after that in the dressing room and, and back at Carrington. So it's it's good to hear these things now because I think it's trying to piece the story together. And players like Wan-Bissaka, I think, again, they're just, there's a Solskjaer period and the Solskjaer period that failed. And you can see that this manager absolutely wants to kind of wash his hands of a lot of that stuff and just create his own thing. Harry Maguire in that boat as well, actually. You know, I was about to say exactly, totally, and this is the problem, isn't it? Because he even said about Maguire the other day, if I get the England Harry Maguire back, we're all good. But if I don't, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, and it's a bit like, okay, no, we understand that, and and we all agree, I think, with that, don't we? It's like, but if you get the England Harry Maguire back, you and me were both criticising him during the World Cup. I don't want that Maguire back. Too slow. You know, too ponderous on the ball, passing it sideways. We don't want that. We want what Casemiro gave us last night. Someone expansive, head up, playing all sorts of balls out from the back. That's what modern centre-backs do. So uh, I think that's the Ten Hag way. And I think that's the way Ten Hag will go. Just on Maguire, on the subject of taking hits on financial outlays, 80 million. <laughs> yeah. Let's say, Let's say next summer, if he's... He's third choice, right? At least mm. third choice centre back. Let's say Tottenham come in, right? Mm. And they put thirty million down. Do United take it, knowing that they're taking a fifty million loss on him? Oof. Do you know? Again, it all depends on what kind of business United are trying to do and what they're trying to shape. Because it's all very well them trying to support the manager and that includes selling players as well as buying them. But it really depends on whether you feel that the kind of wage that Maguire earns is you've got to get it off the books 
because this player isn't playing. He doesn't even, you know, he's not even a starter. He's becoming a fringe player. And then, yeah, you might have to do that, especially at his age, because you can't do what you're doing with Wambasaka, who's a bit younger, and get him out on loan and maybe get some football with his feet. Um, 30 million from Tottenham. I don't know. I think it would be more <laughs> likely. I think it would be more likely 30 million from Leicester or 30 million yeah. from Wolves or 30 million from a mid-table team who are who are aspiring to step up a Crystal Palace type team. Oh, no, I reckon if, if, let's say Conte stayed at Spurs and he wants to play a back three, I think he could fit in. I've speaking. I've been speaking to Spurs fans the last few days as well. And they were like, "Yeah, you know." If he he could fit into the system, but he can't run, Scott. He'd have that so, cover behind him. Is my you know my my argument in in a three playing that it, England style because he plays well for England in a three does not mean he'll play well in the Premier League in a three. So this is the thing I was just saying. But he about did for ago. Leicester. Yeah, but you know, you know, he did for Leicester when he it's like five years ago. It's like it's it's, it's it's you know players can age dramatically, and I think the thing is with Maguire is that, and this has happened at United consistently over the last ten years. What have they done? They've taken a good player and made them worse. Yeah, through the coaching, through the issues at the football club, and I think Maguire has fallen into that. Maguire went from being quite a confident centre back knowing his strengths and weaknesses and playing to them, dribbling with the ball, being pushing forward, being that kind of strange kind of centre-back that can look like he's an attacking midfielder at times when he's on the edge of the box. You go, wow, look at that guy. That's not Harry Maguire today. So I don't think that, um, I don't think that the, the manager of Tottenham Hotspur is going to go, well, I've got Eric Dyer at the moment and my upgrade on that is uh, Harry Maguire with him on the left-hand side. No, 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 no. You need athleticism. I'm speaking hypothetically. This is I like, know you are. I know you are. And, and you're trying to sell him and find a market for him. And I, think I love Harry Maguire. I'm not trying to do that. I think <laughs> I think the captain's marketplace, unfortunately, if he leaves Man United, we are seeing what the top teams want to do at centre-back. And it isn't Harry Maguire. And it isn't Victor Lindelof. So, you know, even last night, you could see Lindelof last night. He's okay. But he's always got a mistake in him. And he's always slow. And he plays terrible passes out from the back sometimes he can pass it but he, you need consistency don't you so I think that's it with the Chuckle Brothers with both of them I think they uh they're in that situation that scenario of their style of play but I think they would do okay at a mid-table team like a Wolves or or even unfortunately Leicester who are now got have trended that way over time and I can see him go back to Leicester the boy returning yeah 30 35 million i'm going to take leicester to the promised land nicking our podcast title and then they get in the top four and what does everyone say harry Maguire was actually quite good he got leicester in the top four he could probably help them do that don't know scott if he can help us anymore that's how i feel about it i don't care how many world cups he plays well at it's just not the same as the premier league you call them the chuckle brothers that's chuckle brothers volume two we used to chuckle brothers weren't lindelof and Maguire. they used to be phil jones and chris smallin uh but yeah it's it's, uh, it's, it's a trademark of manchester united center backs and it's like whoever at the time wants the title can take the title <laughs> chuckle vision if you if you're too if you're too young for chuckle vision go back and check it out google it <laughs> google it uh, i grew up on that uh yes anyway let's talk about We'll go positive in a second. Let's just do Martin Dubravka quickly. Mm. Uh, what? <laughs> yeah, what? Like we, we said, but again, we chatted before about team lineups. And we were like, oh, Dubravka won't play because Dubravka is really bad. And then Dubravka plays and was really bad. So I think you see here a player 
on his way out. Whether Dubravka will ever play for Man United again, we have to keep these fingers crossed. People who are watch, listening on Spotify, I have my fingers crossed on camera here that David De Gea does not get injured. Because I do think that Dubravka, if he ends up coming in in the league at any point soon, Man United will lose games because of him. He's that bad. He's not. He's not Premier League standard now. So decent to bring in, I think, at the time as a as a kind of quick number two, just because because you needed to do something like that. But I think as quick as he came, he should be gone now. I don't think that we we saw last night on the deck and in the air that that punch he did. We tried to punch it and completely missed it, and they nearly scored. And then the pass back rolls over his foot and nearly goes in the goal. That would have been two goals down to him, and that would have been the difference in the game, wouldn't it? Kind of ended up uh, uh, with a penalty shootout or something like that. That would have been a nightmare for for Ten Hag. But yeah, we don't want to talk too much about Martin Dubravka. Let's just hope he gets out the door as quick as possible. He's on loan till the end of the season. United have decisions to make on goalkeepers. We'll, we'll talk about that yeah. a little bit later, but let's go to the positives. Well, one positive for now. Marcus Rashford, you talked about Victor Lindelof being slow. Marcus Rashford is not slow at the moment. Mm. He... Uh, He's got what, probably one of his best United goals. Uh, picking the ball up in midway in his own half, actually. And throwing back to like a Ryan Giggs against Aston Villa, kind of dribble through the pitch and on the other side, of course, uh, and then beat one defender with a, or maybe with two defenders with a kind of little shuffle and fired it bottom corner on the opposite side. A nice goal, looking sharp. Played on the right as well. Now, mm. obviously, Anthony came on and played on the right later on. But like like we've said on this podcast, United have a lot of options on the left. So, I mean, Rashford, you know, Garnacho's probably more of a left-sided player. Marcus Rashford can play, play in other positions, is what I'm trying to say. You know? Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Whereas Garnacho is very much a left-sided attacker. So what did you make of Rashi? I think Rashford is trending in the right direction. And I think we're seeing this kind of renaissance of the player for all the right reasons. You know, this is, again, we talk about the former regime at Man United under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and lots of that being wiped out from memory now by this manager. But one player who is not suffering from that and is going the right direction, of course, is Marcus Rashford. So, yeah, we all believe that he doesn't play as well on the right-hand side, and he doesn't. He's definitely better from the left. But that goal showed, I think, more about the philosophy of this team than it does just about Marcus, because that counter-press of winning the ball back on the halfway line and getting going and getting going like that and only having one idea, which is go to the box, that's modern football. That's what you do. Like what we saw with that goal, I think that was one of the goals of the season, not just for United, but but anywhere across the world and across the league. That was pure Mbappe light. Yeah, if Mbappe does that at a World Cup or for PSG, it's on socials for weeks. Look at this goal. He skins the defence. And what I really liked, because during the game, I was shouting at him to pass it. You know, It's like, 
impossible. Player one, two, you know, get in, you know, get in behind. He runs the play, he runs the, the defense, but I don't know if you saw it. He does a like little trick just before he gets towards the box. Mm-hmm. It's a little shuffle, like one, two with his feet, opens the space up for himself. And as soon as it works, he goes bottom corner, bang, bottom corner, it's goal. And and that's what you want. And this is why when we talk about forwards, we don't talk about nines anymore. We talk about, we actually talk about that front three or front four. How do you do it? How does it work? So Marcus Rashford is going to play a lot of games on the through the centre, on the left and on the right this year. He's going to be that one player that does move around. But you're right, Garnacho can give you that on the left. He started the game and you saw Anthony come back. So I was quite pleased again to see Anthony get minutes because we weren't quite sure whether he would play at all or whether he'd be present. So all those World Cup lads look zoned in. And that's a really, really good position to be in, especially with the restart of the Premier League. Jaden Sancho is obviously still not a part of this team. Mm. I'm sure if you're listening to this, you've seen Eric Ten Hag's post-match reaction to uh, a question on Jaden Sancho. And it was extremely blunt. I mean, I'm trying to dig up the actual quote here, but he was asked, "Is there, I think this is what it was, is there a timeline on Jaden Sancho's return? Because obviously he's been away from the group at the moment. I think he's training on his own. No. Just a blunt no. Uh, there's no timeline on Jaden Sancho's return at the moment. And... You know, this is a it's a situation where you, the club aren't giving too much away. Obviously, mm. have to respect that. You know, footballers are, are people too. They have to uh, be right in the right condition, both physically and mentally. Mm. And if there's any reason why Jaden Sancho is not ready to play, then he should be given the time. You know, in order to get better. Uh, I mean, it looks like we'll be without him for a little while. That seems of it. I think so, and I think that again, this is from the manager's point of view, from how Ten Hag views it, this is his kind of trying to give Sancho the best possible chance. Because coming to Manchester United with the kind of fee that he did and the expectation that he did, and also being an England international, who's now not an England international, he needs to be guided and helped at this age group to be able to kind of be come back in the best form. Before the tour to Spain, we'd heard that, this was going to be the way they did it with Jaden Sancho, that that it wasn't a case of just getting back up to speed, chucking back in with the group. There was a feeling that he needed to go away and fix some things. Now, I'm not going to speculate on what those things are. I don't think that's not, that's not what's really important. That's more for your tabloids. But I think in football terms and for the player, to get his head right and his physicality, they felt that the best opportunity was him to go and train in the Netherlands, and we, we talked about that a little bit before. That is Ten Hag's idea on him. And I think this is why Ten Hag was very blunt last night. And Ten Hag, as you said, it was asked directly. Doesn't want to talk about it. Just no. Maybe we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit more in the weeks ahead. And I do think he'll be reintegrated. But because we don't want to speculate on what's what's going on with the player, I think at the same time, you've got to give him time now. And, <clears throat> excuse me, if you go and buy a Gakpo, and that could still possibly happen, we know this, then kind of it covers that position, doesn't it? So you're not as fraught to get Sancho back into the into the team, but it, it could well be time. It could be weeks rather than kind of days. Mm-hmm. So let's wait and see. Well, I, I think we'll hear a little bit more quite soon in terms of where they're going to go with the player. But they obviously back him. They want him to to push on. But I think as well with mental health as well, you've got to kind of 
have the bigger picture and say that, you know, just, just doing the same stuff doesn't always work. You know, you've got to go and maybe go and do some other work to get you back to where you want to be. Uh, and I'm sure Jaden Sancho is desperate to get back in the Man United team. Yeah, all the best to him. Uh, obviously, we don't we don't know exactly what's going on, and it's probably best that we don't. Uh, but let's hope that things can be sorted out and back on the straight and narrow for a pretty quickly. I mean, let's like you just said there, Rob. United do have. I know that most consider them quite light up front, but I mean the the Garnacho breakthrough this season and that goal against Fulham, and obviously the what he was doing before the World Cup has kind of given United an, a, a, a solid option that they didn't have maybe at the start of the season. He was more of a youth prospect. Can he make the grade and can he make the break in? He now has, and he will probably be rotated into the into the 11. And he looks you know? so comfortable. Like Garnacho is doing Garnacho things. So his productivity isn't always there, but you can see for a young player that whatever his football brain tells him to do, he feels comfortable doing it in the arena of the first team. And not all players can do that. So we've kind of identified that last year and when this boy can make the step, there are other players in that in, in the youth team, like the likes of Kobe Manu and players like that, who you feel can make another step quicker than maybe than just send him out on loan and do what you've done with Hannibal. Then you've got Hannibal coming, coming back. So I think this is how this manager is going to manage these things because that's how you have to do it. If you haven't got Sancho, you need to find other solutions for those positions. Garnacho gives you an immediate uh, solution. Then Gakpo would give you a more long-term solution. And then you can say to Jaden Sancho, come back to the team and fight. You know, you might even see Sancho playing on the right again at some point, maybe competing more as a different kind of right-sided forward to Anthony. Because I think Anthony has his flaws, even though he's done really well, doesn't he? So it's it's about options. So I think that the manager's going to be doing this kind of chopping and changing. So Anthony Martial plays a striker yesterday, but there's always there's always the opportunity to play him left or uh, in, on the left or right. We've seen him play on the right at times. He's come on as a substitute. So lots of things here for Ten Hag to sort out, but they're all good problems. They're all stuff that problems you'd rather have that you can fix on a training ground rather than saying I've got no one for these positions, which I think was always the case for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. It always felt you know the cupboard was bare, but you know this manager's starting to have a squad and put together a squad that gives him options. Speaking of the squad options, uh, Diogo Dallo, Marcus Rashford, Fred and Luke Shaw have had contract, one-year contract extensions triggered. They are, yeah. this, that's how United do contracts. Uh, I think it's pretty much in every player's contract at the club. Mm-hmm. Uh, for that option to trigger it by one year, it was in Cristiano Ronaldo's contract before uh, United and Ronaldo came to a mutual agreement to terminate the contract. Dallo, Rashford, Fred and Shaw, will be staying until 2024. That rhymes. Uh, and it obviously gives United now a chance to protect the value of each of these players mm. and renegotiate longer-term contracts with the like uh, Diogo Dallo and Marcus Rashford, as far as I understand, are the priorities. Dallo has been linked with the likes of Barcelona and Real Madrid, so you never really know how that one can go. But if United, let's say if United did want to end up selling them next summer, they could get a fee rather than losing them for free. Luke Shaw, I'd imagine, will be on the agenda too because he's uh, broken. His, he, he's back in the team. Mm. Seems like first choice. David De Gea is the only one that has not had his contract extension taken up yet. Now, the situation here is David De Gea is among, or if not the highest earner at the club. He signed a contract in 2019 where, un, under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer when he was 
essentially at the peak of his powers. I remember one game in 2016 where he made like 15 saves at Arsenal. I remember there was another game at Spurs where he made a number of saves as well. Obviously, since he's lost his place in the international setup, we'll see whether he's back in. Now, Luis Enrique has left that job. He's lost his place for Spain, obviously. He has also, he's had a, he's had a few wobbles with United as well, let a few goals in, lost confidence here and there, but has looked this season pretty solid, was pretty solid last season. But obviously the concerns are, can you kick the ball? Can you distribute the ball? Can you play with your feet? That is a Ten Hag goalkeeper and what Ten Hag wants. Now, from what we understand, talks are ongoing with David De Gea and the club. However, there's conditions. Now, if they, David, if you want to stay, you're not getting that same money that you're currently on and nope. you will have to take significantly reduced terms if you want to stay. And if if that happens then and David De Gea stays, I know it'll please a lot of fans. The option is still there. If he gets a better, he can, he can speak to other clubs from January 1st abroad. Mm. If Atletico Madrid come calling and he wants to go back, his former club, he has that option to agree from January 1st with them. They, they also have Jan Oblak, but there's questions about his future as well. David De Gea has a decision to make. United have a decision to make. I think from what I understand it, though, they just want to do it on good terms. And if he leaves, it'll be on good terms. If he stays, it'll be on good terms, but also reduced terms. So, yeah. Sorry, Rob, I was talking a lot there. No, no, no. You go for it. You're, you're, you're talking... You're talking truths. I think with the player, what, what it's, it's a thing with David De Gea, isn't it? Because we know that he's never going to be elite with his feet. But as we are seeing that some of these goalkeepers who are elite with their feet are not so elite with their hands. So there's, there's a kind of balancing point here about what do you need and how quickly do you need it? Um, I think one always shocking fact that always sticks in my head when we talk about David De Gea, like in the last year or two or three, is that David De Gea earns more per week than Allison and Edison do together. You could have had both of those goalkeepers for less money than what David earns. But that's just a kind of little quirk. What it means is that you need to move on. So I think that David De Gea, there is still an opportunity for him to stay at the football club, but he is going to have to take a really hard and harsh pay cut. That's the only way. And I actually think that this is maybe the difference. I don't want to keep mentioning the boy Ronaldo because he's gone. It's all done. But this is maybe the difference between a Ronaldo and a De Gea and kind of a high earner, maybe player towards the end of their careers. I think De Gea's got more miles than maybe Cristiano. But then this is about what does the player want to do? You know, does the, is the player happy? Or, you know, one of the things with De Gea for many years was that maybe if he left, it would be because... It's time to get away from Manchester and England and a different style of play, you know, some better weather on his back and all of that. Now what we hear from his camp, his people, is that he's just really happy in England and they'd quite like to stay in England. And it wouldn't be surprising if he actually ends up at an English club. I don't think United want that at all. I don't think United would want to see a legend because he is a legend. You know, he's multiple player of the year, isn't he? And and he's done well and he's a former Premier League winner, even though it was just that one time a, a long, long time ago. So um, I actually think Ten Hag really likes him, sees him as a leader and would, wouldn't mind keeping him around, but only on the, the premise that you maybe go and buy a really top young goalkeeper who is elite with their feet. You know, someone 23, 24, who you can have as a long-term stopper, you can play a different kind of game. And maybe De Gea stays as a statesman on the bench and maybe he just plays now and then, plays the League Cup, plays, 
the European game, stuff like that. You've got that opportunity to do that. So let's wait and see. Let's see what De Gea wants to do. I know all players want to play, but I also think the happiness off the pitch is really important. And and De Gea seems to be really, really happy in England, very happy in Manchester. So that's going to play a lot into this in terms of negotiations, because I think United will want, would, would be happy to keep him, but certainly not on the kind of 300, 350 grand a week that he currently takes. That's a heinous wage for a goalkeeper that doesn't quite do all the things that you need him to do. Yeah. Even at the time, uh, it it was a hell of a lot of money. I think he, I don't know whether Donnarumma's overtaken him now, but he was for a, for a point the the highest earning goalkeeper in the world. And United also had Dean yeah. Henderson, who was on a hundred yeah. grand a week as well. Spending that much money on goalkeepers is insane. <clears throat> so yeah, David De Gea. We'll see how that. I think that one will. That one's going to be worked out quite slowly. I think. Yeah, this is my presumption. It's going to be worked out quite slowly. But like you said there, Rob. De Gea could he could remain number one next season if he's if, if he's on these reduced terms, but it could be that United down the line look to long term replace him because he is uh, he's now wrong side of thirty I think, but obviously goalkeepers can go on for a long long time nowadays. We'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah. I think like an economics comes into play here. You know, this is how it goes now. It's just it's just what it is. Even though fans don't want to look at it like that, and they don't they shouldn't have to look at it like that, but. Unless you can go and get the goalkeeper you really want and it really kind of pushes your needle towards where you want to be, then it might be better just to keep De Gea around the football club in kind of like, you know, under 200 grand a week or something like that and make a transition. Find a young goalkeeper that you can then nurture behind the scenes, uh, you know, 21 or 22-year-old and go the route that United did with De Gea. Like, do you remember obviously when they bought De Gea? You know, he was really young, really green, not quite ready for the Premier League. And Sir Alex went, no, but this guy is long-term. I'm going to do it and I'm going to suck it up. I'll put him in the team. And when he fails, I'll take him out of the team, but then I'm going to put him back in. You know, this is how it goes. So I think Ten Hag is that kind of coach. I think you wouldn't be surprised rather than United spending big money on a big goalkeeper that they go and find the next big thing and kind of integrate him over a year or two with someone like De Gea. That will annoy a load of United fans that want new goalkeepers. But at the same time, you've got to look at the economics of your squad and where you're putting money into it to improve it. Yeah, it's worth reminding people that United need a goal, probably need a goalkeeper. They need a right back. They need a centre back. They need a French central midfielder. Yeah, yeah. There's a striker. A, a striker. So they have a lot of priority positions. And you stay They can't do, they can't you know. do all that. Yeah, they <laughs> yeah. can't do all that in one summer. So no. we'll see how it goes. Nottingham Forest are next up at Old Trafford after Christmas. Like we say, this is the Christmas episode jingle, jingle. Uh, so Nottingham Forest are the first uh, team to come to Old Trafford or play against Man United in the Premier League since the resumption of the World Cup on the 27th. This one should... I, no, I'm not going to do that. United no. are expected to win this one. However, <laughs> yeah. you don't know because of the break, right? Well, is it going to be a forest fire at Old Trafford? Oh, so. Wow. It's, uh, you know, it's just how it goes, isn't it? I'm more interested now. Like I quite, uh, the other day, we were talking about Jesse Lingard. And obviously, that's a, a kind of talking point around this match. You know, I wonder who uh, Julie Roberts is going to be supporting on the day. She's going to be supporting her mate, Jesse, who she's obviously been communicating with on socials, and that's been quite public, or the football club of her dreams, which is Manchester United. So, you know, there's that. But that's going to be a little narrative around the football match. But being more serious, it's one of these things with Forest, isn't it? They've got nothing to lose. 
they've had a really it's bad you know they've had a bad first you know Sunyon back into the Premier League it's not worked uh, they bought 26 players they look worse than they did when they didn't have those 26 players uh, but of course on any given day someone can come and punch you in the mouth in the Premier League and hurt you and it looks like before it's just one or two bits starting to click and Lingard I think is part of that so if they can get any version of Jesse Lingard back who looks like a serious footballer again then good luck to them it could it could work for them but you've got to remember Lingard as well out of contract at the end of this season so now he's for the next six months playing for that next deal so let's see what happens I don't think that he wants to stay at Nottingham Forest I don't think he ever wanted to go to Nottingham Forest but he went there because it's good money and it was a platform let's see what he, do, what he can do I think he would love to come back to Old Trafford uh, and steal all the headlines yeah you mentioned Forest they're not being <clears throat> obviously they haven't had a great season so far they signed 26 players they did have a few players at the World Cup but maybe these are one of those teams that will benefit from having only a few players at the World Cup and Steve Cooper can work with this group of players for a month, five weeks in order to instill an identity in them. And maybe we'll see that yeah. at Old Trafford. I think it's interesting with Steve Cooper because he's he's become a much lauded manager, especially what he did with Forrest last year. And he's got the background of obviously working with the FA and one thing or another. And... I would say most managers, when they sign 26 players, that if they end up looking like relegation fodder weeks later, months later, even though you need time to make it all gel and make it work, you might just lose your job. And he seems to be one manager that that's not a risk. And he signed a new contract recently. So he's not going anywhere. And that's probably a shrewd move in terms of Forrest's long-term project. But you're right. I think that that he's now a time to work with these 26 new players. It sounds ridiculous even when you say it out loud. Um, but all you need to do is get a song out of them. Can you find a way to start getting higher up the pitch, be defensively more sound and start winning football matches? So it's, again, a wait and see. Let's see what they can do in this first game back in the Premier League. Uh, a little bit of a danger, but I do feel a little bit more assured with Ten Hag and how Ten Hag respects opponents because I think that's key. I think he will look at Forrest and he won't think, Forest are terrible, he'll think Brentford. He'll think, you know, if you if you take a, an opponent lightly, you might go get smashed. Now, Forest shouldn't score lots of goals at Old Trafford, but it can still beat you 1-0, 2-1, whatever. So I, I think that Ten Hag will make sure that our boys are ready for this challenge, even though maybe even football fans, I've heard like United fans go, no, it's just Forest. Forest, late night TV, first game back, Old Trafford, bright lights, anything can happen. But I think that United hopefully should have too much if we can keep everyone fit and ready for this game. Yes, that is on the 27th. United's first game back in the Premier League after Christmas and after the World Cup. Speaking of the holidays, happy holidays to you, listener. Happy holidays to you, Rob, as well. We're going to wrap up there and we'll be back after the Forest game to see how United are shaping up going into the resumption of the Premier League season with one Premier League game behind them. You can subscribe to our show wherever you get your pods on all the regular podcast platforms and watch us on YouTube as well. Head over to the channel, like, subscribe, join the community and leave a comment and follow us on Twitter too at underscore Scott Saunders at underscore Rob underscore B and at Promise and MU for the show. Thanks again, Rob. Uh, Have a great uh, holiday season. And so to you too, listener, have a great holiday season. And Rob, any final thoughts? 
No, I would just like to say also Merry Christmas to our audience. Obviously, now we'll be taking a, a little short break. Won't be gone too long uh, over the festive period. But just want to thank everyone that's kind of supported the podcast. Uh, lots of people do listen on Spotify and through the website and one thing or another. Um, obviously, people, we're growing this on YouTube. So like you always say, Scott, please subscribe and also please share on your socials and one thing or another, because that's how we grow this. And if you enjoy it, tell your other Man United friends and people that you go to games with and watch games with, whether you are from the from far abroad in distant lands or whether you're from Manchester or London or any part of the UK. Just really like to thank you again for all your support uh, and have a Merry Crimbo. Thanks very much, everyone. We'll see you very soon with another Promised Land episode. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day that crispy fish that savory tartar sauce that melty cheese that pillowy bun yeah you get it Every time. And if you love the filet of fish, right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just six dollars. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba da ba ba ba.